is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. Good news. Good news. Good news. Good news. Good news. Good news. Hello. Good news. I think it's time we had some frickin' real good news. Good news. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Hannah Canningator, your host. And well, uh, today is a different kind of slash a special kind of day because I'm doing a solo episode um, because life happens, you know, and mostly uh, flu season happens is the main reason that I'll be flying solo today. But we will be back with guests next week and I will have Matt Apodaca who was very funny and he's on a Herald team this year and he is also just one of the dang nicest people you'll ever meet so look forward to that um in the meantime I'm here uh on my couch ready to talk all about some good news and you know I bet we'll get through more faster and you'll really get uh You'll really get the most information because I'll be less inclined to trail off and talk about uh, Lisa Frank for 10 minutes or or whatever have you. Although, have I gone off on a Lisa Frank tangent? I don't think I have. Well, I'll save that. Um, I got some new microphones in good news. This is great news. Uh, So, no, the past two episodes have been just a little bit of a disaster mic-wise, and shout out to Stephen Ray Morris for giving me the link to some really great mics that I now, so I'm all professional now. I'm holding a microphone, and I'll tell you what, nothing feels more natural than sitting on a couch alone with a blanket, holding a microphone, talking to yourself, um, as I am right now. So this will be, this will be really fun. I'm actually very excited about um, this week's episode, I have a lot of really, I have some stuff that made me really happy. So, um, let's see, trying to, oops, excuse, excuse the noise. So, oh, I mean, since it's my, since it's a solo episode, maybe I'll fill our usual sidebars up with some really cool sound effects or something that I could find some of those. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. First on the docket. So, you guys, a 94 year old woman, woman, a single woman, a 94 year old woman just got her diploma. Um, uh, where she got, um, a bat her bachelor's degree from Southern New Hampshire University with a perfect 4.0 GPA. Um, this is in November that she completed her schooling. She's 94, you guys. Her name is Amy Cratton, Creighton. Um, she lives in Hawaii now, so she's been doing it, uh, through, she's been doing it online, like I said, but, uh, but Southern New Hampshire University is also just like a a regular university with a, a campus. It's not like one of those 
crappy infomercial universities where it's like, uh, or colleges, online college degrees where that's all it is. Um, no, uh, no, oh my God, no offense to anyone who, if you got your degree that way, but I'm just saying this is a real bit. This is an actual big university, Southern New Hampshire. And she got her bachelor of arts in creative writing and English. And guys, now she's going to go pursue her master's degree. She said she has a high, a passion for haikus and she wants to write a children's book soon. I will be so excited when that children's book comes out. Um, she went to college for the first time in 1962, but she had to put her uh, education on hold to get a full-time job and support her. She had four kids, so she had to stop going to school and support her kids. Um, and so she had to go to work. Work, 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 work. Um, and so now she has four grandchildren and 12 great grandchildren. Um, but she went back never too late, you guys, to do anything is what I love about this. And, um, she, on this news segment, they asked her, um, what her advice is to future students and what her, uh, plan is for her master's. So I'm going to play, I'm going to play the sound clip of that because I just really, she's the cutest lady. I love what she had to say. Oh, she was, uh, what's cool about this story is so she got it online, um, and she was living in Hawaii. So, uh, Southern New Hampshire's university president came, uh, and she couldn't go to the commencement, um, in May that's coming up in May. So, uh, the president, Flew out to Hawaii and hand delivered her diploma to her, which is the best. And they like threw her a little party. And so that's where this interview is from is at this party. Um, so I'll go ahead and play that now. I stole this from New Hampshire1.com and I hope that they don't get mad at me. have to live. Uh, you have to learn as long as you can learn. Uh, you have to live as long as, as, as you can live. I would say if you're at home, pick up a book read it. Read it. Uh, any kind of a book. Expand yourself. Expand your knowledge. Uh, Expand your life. So, that's about all I can say. And I'm trying to live my life to the fullest. Yeah, I love everything she had to say. Like, live life, always be learning. Um, I just loved her advice. And also, last week I forgot to mention this, but before before I started recording with Connor, um, I had found an article that the oldest person just turned 146 last week, I think. 146 years old. Are you kidding me? That is... 
that is so many years to be on earth and he was still like sitting up he has he, there, he has no teeth i think he has one tooth now um but he still he like celebrates his birthday every year with his family and grandchildren and great grandchildren and also i'm assuming at this point has great great grandchildren and has outlived i think some of his children as well of course he has cuz you if at 146 so we'll say you have you have a kid when you're like well also way back in the day you're shooting them out real early on like early you know late teens early 20s so i would say his youngest kid would have to be 120 something so they're probably they're not alive and their kids like he has outlived everyone in his family and he said the uh the his best piece of advice was to stay patient um which i loved i always try and remember that too be patient be patient be kind um gets makes the days a little bit easier okay uh gosh this is so odd. this is just so odd uh it probably doesn't sound odd to you guys it sounds odd to me because i i guess i just don't talk to myself out loud this often um but uh, maybe some more sound effects would make it cool. <laughs> the best part about that is even when I'm saying that, there's no actual sound effects happening in the moment. I'm just planning on putting them in later. Uh, okay. So next story I'm psyched about is, uh, so in Seattle, um, the Seattle Police Department has their first openly transgendered cop. Um, they and it's been because of this been recognized nationally uh, for it's also just always been like a pretty uh, this specific department, but um, it's been recognized nationally for protecting LGBT rights like in the past. And now the department has uh, their first openly transgendered uh, police officer. His name is Tori Newburn. He is, uh, it, his transition started 10 years ago. Um, and he spells his name Tori, T-O-R-I. Uh, and his family has always been in, in full support of him, which I think is really awesome. Uh, and he said, uh, he said that, that was just a huge privilege for him to have his parents be fully supportive, which, of course, um, that's a really hard, uh, difficult transition to make um, if, and especially difficult if your parents are not in support of you or if they're angry at you. I mean, that's just something that you shouldn't have to deal with on top of the um, emotional and physical change that you are yourself going through. So uh, I love that his parents were supportive from beginning. He said that his mom, like, always cries every time. <laughs> uh, I love this so much. Uh, his mom always cries, uh, not out of sadness, out of happiness. She cries every time he talks on the phone with her because she's just so um, proud of him and uh, and is happy that he's been able to make the transition. So Tori is... 32 years old now. Um, 
and he didn't come out to his fellow police officers as a transgendered man until um, May 2016. Uh, so, and it was a, he said, uh, a pivotal moment in making his decision happened. It was last spring when the uh, Seattle Police Department released its transgender training video. So, and after the training video, nobody in the department had anything bad to say, and they weren't sugarcoating anything, just, um, and so he said when he came out to them, like, uh, nobody acted even weird, which, yeah, uh, because they've known him as a male police officer, and they, like, uh, and he said it was really encouraging to be able to come out and have everyone be totally normal humans about it, which is awesome. Um, I feel like especially uh, especially in the police department, I have never, you guys won't believe this, but I have never been a police officer or in a police officer department. So I guess I'm just going off of probably stereotypes, uh, actually 100%. But I feel like a lot of times um, it can be, it gets, police officers get portrayed as like, masculine and tough and like um guys guys and so for him to feel really safe and especially for the police department to be so already supportive of the lgbt community in that part of seattle for him to feel safe enough to come out and say hey i'm (laughs) i'm actually transgendered um is so cool and uh there's a, a another officer um, who is gay, who's been with SPD for more than 30 years. Um, his name is Jim Rifter. And they he started for a department um, which was recognized for its, it's called the Safe, Safe Place Program, which is specifically aiming to reduce crimes against the LGBTQ community. So, um, and he's the one who started that program. So I think that's really cool. And he said there's a lot of misinformation out there about transgendered individuals and having Tori talk about his experience, it takes the mystery away from it about the topics people don't know a lot about. Um, And so, yeah, it's just so cool. Tori said he has an amazing job with a great department. He's made a lot of friends in this department and that he has to use that to bring more positivity into the world. Yes, Tori. I love it. It's so cool. And he is, um, oh, he's just so cute that he's like got just the nicest, uh, just the nicest and like kindest eyes, if that makes sense. Most kind eyes. Um, is that right? Most kind? Most smartest? Most smartest? Did you guys ever watch Drop Dead Gorgeous? Uh, (laughs) I can't know because I'm talking to no one in a room by myself, but uh, that's a quote from that. Um, anyway, so uh, this is a sidebar, but I think what I'm going to, I've had a hard time keeping up with the blog just because of crazy scheduling stuff lately, but I think what I will do, um, I'm getting a new job soon, which should help with all of that. Um, but I think what I will do is at least start an Instagram where I can, uh, quickly post 
little photos of the stories along with little blurbs about them. So at least when I don't get a chance to do the blog like I always talk about doing, at least I'll be able to – You, I, I can post and um, you guys can put a, a name to a face kind of thing if you're interested. And uh, so I'll start a separate hello and good news Instagram probably today. Uh, it's Wednesday. <laughs> Y'all know what day it is. It's Good News Wednesday. Um, so I'll start doing that. And um, the probably under handle hello and good news. So I'd love if you followed and spread the word. And yeah, I'll just post. Um, that's where I'll start posting the podcast guests and uh, little photos and blurbs to go along with each week's each each week's pods but a pew 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 okay next story um i do actually it's probably good i don't have a guest this week because i have a like i have a full docket here um although it's only been 16 minutes so we'll probably fly through it uh okay so this week is the this week is the um, World Economic Forum annual meeting, also known as uh, so I think Americans say it Davos or Davos, but it's actually pronounced Davos. Um, it's in it's in like Switzerland, right? <laughs> um, but it's when all Basically, all the global leaders and people who are freaking important and make decisions about things. And uh, it's just a, the World Economic Forum, which is it's all committed to people getting together and different world leaders being like, how do we improve the state of the world? Uh, and so it's mostly about politics and business. Um and like other people who are leaders in society come and people talk about stuff and, you know, say they're going to do things and then talk some more about it. And there's a whole huge agenda. So Tuesday, I believe it was yesterday, was the first was the first day of the World Economic Forum at DeVos. And um, they there was a. Basically, uh, there, so there's a whole agenda and different meetings that happen and different speakers and blah, blah, blah. And one of the things on the agenda was talking about a global action plan to reduce plastic and waste and plastic packaging production and also to, as opposed to make more plastic, start reusing and uh, recycling what we already have. So, um, over 40 industry leaders have endorsed, uh, during this meeting a, and this is like, guys, I feel really good about this one because this is sort of like, dun, 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 breaking news because the world economic forum is happening right now. Uh, so yeah, I think, uh, yesterday, um, they endorsed a global action plan on plastic packaging production and to start seeing rates for plastic packaging recycling go it's currently at about 14 percent which is too low 
The goal is to get it to 70%. Um, the report proposes solutions to address the likelihood of, uh, oh, this is a soda, this is so depressing, but um, we got to figure out, we seriously have to figure out what to do like right now because um, like right now, uh, God, I can, uh, the other problem about talking only to myself is that I can just hear only myself. Uh, I'm sorry. I keep uh, addressing that I'm just doing this in a room alone, but Anyway, sorry for saying like so much. Sorry for saying um so much. This is just the real me, you know? Just me, me on my couch, me with a cup of coffee, me holding a big microphone with a yellow, that's yellow. Um, anyway, back to that sentence I was trying to say before I got self-conscious. They, we really got to figure out what to do about the plastic people because they're it, likely by 2050, which is not that far away, it's what, 33 years away, there will be by weight more plastics in the ocean than fish. Um, oh my God, that is, it is terrifying. Um, and we have to thank God CDs are less of a thing now, because I tell you what, the packaging around CDs can, do you remember how it's like a whole, who thought of that? Why was that a thing? You would buy it at the store and it was like a plastic purse around the CD, like a big plastic rectangle with a handle around the CD. You'd have to go and get taken off. And then then there's like another plastic casing followed by a third plastic casing and then the cd case itself is plastic the whole thing who why were we so excited i guess plastic seemed cool but good lord i at least you know streaming exists now because the cd dvd situation that was a GD nightmare. And it took me always like a half an hour. It takes everyone like a half hour to get the darn thing open. Um, that's my contribution to this solution is thank God for streaming. Um, okay. Anyway, so we got to figure that out. Uh, uh, right now, about 20% of plastic packaging could be profitably reused. Um, you always got to have those dollar signs in front, dollars and freaking cents, people. That's what it all comes down to. Just like Connor and I were talking about last week. Um, money, money, money. <sighs> okay. 20, so profitably reused. You could, so we need to, um, do that, obviously. Another 50% of plastic packaging could be profitably recycled so you know like plastic bags obviously especially the way they're making them now or like you know something you could get at claire's for christ's sake they're like the big thick see-through plastic stuff now um it's like a new purse so reuse profitably 20 percent recycle 
50% of plastic packaging can be profitably recycled. Um, but the thing that they're mostly addressing or were mostly addressing in this meeting is that without a fundamental redesign um, and innovation of just like uh, all of our massive amount of pl giant plastic everything in general, uh, 30%, that's a, that's a third, will never be recycled. Um, and so that's about the equivalent of 10 billion rubbish bags. <laughs> I'm obviously reading this sentence. I don't, I never say rubbish. 10 billion, uh, garbage bags per year on average, like filled with plastic will end up in a, a landfill or an incineration, which if you've ever burned pr plastic, it's a bad deal. It makes it, it makes fire look like magic wizard fire, but it's very bad for the sky. So the, they're calling this, this new plan, which is part of the new plastics economy initiative, uh, it was launched in May and, uh, it's what it's working on now is getting together, like getting leading or organizations, um, in the big companies, uh, to rep representing all the different parts of the global plastics industry, like chemical manufacturers, um, packaging, consumer good producers, retailers, city authorities, recyclers, the, the, we gotta get everybody to work together and figure out a more, a, a better system for global plastics, basically. Um, and it's getting support, uh, a lot more widespread support. Obviously, they just, just having it be on the table at the, uh, at the World Economic Delio. So, the focus in the next year is to bring about more large-scale innovation. I think the issue is that we just need to start redesigning materials and packaging. I feel like packaging is one of the biggest things. Aside from the terrible packaging that CDs have, just anytime you buy anything, like frick, when you get something from Amazon and it comes in a box and then has plastic in the box and then your thing is wrapped in plastic, it's, it, we just, we don't, we need none of that. So I feel like if people can chill on packaging, that's, and it, that's uh, one of the biggest things. And then obviously improving recycling. Um, that was kind of a mouthful of stuff, and I didn't even fully go into it in detail. But the main, the main thing is that uh, it's high up on the table to get companies to. We just gotta reinnovate our whole and do more reuse and recycle of plastics and the whole thing. And they talked about at Davos or Davos. Okay, side note: I was looking through. <laughs> the whole agenda of meetings for what else they're going to be talking about. And I was, uh, I was looking yesterday or no, this was for, uh, I think I can't remember if I was looking up. Yeah. I was looking up what had already happened on Tuesday or it doesn't matter. It was either for yesterday or today. Um, but so they have a bunch of different people talk like big world leaders, big, uh, just all the big names and all the crap. And then right in the, 
Oh, I thought this was so great. And each meeting has like a different, it's like different titles, different talks. This, there's one called An Insight, An Idea with Shakira. So Shakira is holding a speech and giving a big address uh, called An Insight, An Idea with Shakira. And this, hers popped up in the order that it pops up in the middle of. It's right underneath. It's right in between Powering Africa and then after an insight, an idea with Shakira is press conference with the prime minister of Sri Lanka. So she's like stuck in between some some really big topics. She's going to talk about insights and ideas. Which she's probably, I'm sure she's smart. I'm sure she has like really good things and insights to say. I just, I was pleasantly surprised to see Shakira on the docket in between discussing how to power Africa and a press conference with the prime minister of Sri Lanka. It made me, (laughs) it made me really happy. Uh, You know, just addressing the World Economic Forum and how do we improve the state of the world? Shakira, you take the stage, girl. Um, okay. So, there's a guy who moved from... Um, he moved from Perth, Washington to Australia and he has, he wasn't able to get a job and he ended up basically homeless on the street. And so he made a a cardboard sign, but his, uh, his sign read, hi, I'm from Perth, Washington. I've been here three weeks looking for work. I've tried so hard to get work. I have my HR truck driving license, and I've done lots of driving. I will do anything, even clean toilets. I am now homeless. I just want to make a new life. So if anybody can help me out, it would be great. Just give me a go, please. And then it has this phone number underneath. In, uh, and it's a, he's like an older, he's an older guy too. He looks like he's maybe at uh, late 60s. Um, maybe 70s. So he was sitting on the corner with that sign and this woman, uh, Sharon Jackson, she was walking through. So this is in Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. Uh, and Sharon Jackson was walking through the city center and she saw him with his sign and, um, he, so she got a photo of it and she posted it on a local group page on Facebook. So not long after the photo was published, Barry ended up getting six phone calls um, for different interviews and uh, people reached out and gave him like a place to stay. And uh, so he's like set up to get a job now. And Sharon herself, she's like going to follow his story and she, she wants to make sure that he... She can help him find uh, permanent housing as well. So I just thought that was really awesome. Um, just passing on a good sign like that and 
helping the homeless, man. It is a big problem. Um, it really is. Our, especially in the bigger cities here in Los Angeles, it's a real bad deal. Um, but there are some really cool programs that help out. It's just, uh, I just recently started um, volunteering at the Downtown Women's Center here in Los Angeles. And uh, actually, I'm only on my second day. So, but I'm so excited because uh, we had an orientation where we learned about all the statistics of homelessness and, um, you know, housing and economics and how basically impossible it is even if you've been to school even if you had savings even if like that can all just all of a sudden be gone and that's those numbers are really discouraging to hear but one thing that made me so excited when I was at my first orientation is how many people were there to help and how a lot of those people were either my age or um you know, middle-aged, a uh, couple middle-aged people as well, but a lot of them were really young people, probably my age. Um, and that just made me, it just gave me a lot of hope in moving forward that people are involved and are trying to make, actively trying to make the world a better place. And if we all try to do that a little bit, even a little, um, you can just make a difference and so, and that's why I like this story of just paying it forward a little bit. And Barry, his name is Barry. Um, hopefully Barry gets a uh, job interview now and gets to start a new life. Yeah. Okay, so last week I talked about how I wanted to do a weekly, it seems like every week I've come across a new GoFundMe story. Um, so uh, each week I'm going to talk about the best fundraisers or GoFundMe for whoever. You guys, this is a throwback one, which is why I was so excited when I saw it. Uh, this came out, I found this story, it came out yesterday on ABC. Um, but do you guys remember our teddy bear maker. I was actually just talking about him to somebody last week because they were asking me what one of my favorite good news stories is. Um, and I was talking about Campbell Remus. He makes, he's the little kid who makes a teddy bear a freaking day. Um, and also does a lot of different fundraisers, um, for cancer research and that. So, uh, he just raised with his last fundraiser, $26,000, um, for, for cancer research and those affected by, by ca cancer. And his nickname's Bumble. Remember? Oh, he's the best. He's 12 now. Um, I just loved his story so much and it was really cool to be, um, I just, you know, searched through the news and searched through positive stories and I was so psyched to see his, um, name pop-up again. Uh, and so, uh, I think his Facebook page has more than 45,000 followers now. And a lot of those people are people who are, 
affected by cancer in some sort of way. And uh, they all, it's like a really cool Facebook page. They all support each other. Um, and it's become like a very cool community. And yeah, so he had a charity gala dinner in Hobart that he helped organize. And he also uh, hosted. And he, uh, the, the uh, event was for uh, the Love Your Sister charity. Um, Love Your Sister is a charity that um, a brother and, and sister started together because Connie, the sister, she's fought cancer three different times in her life. And um, so now they are trying to uh, basically raise a ton of money. The goal is $1 million to raise money for uh, breast cancer awareness. Um, so Campbell helped. And now, uh, after, I mean, he's done lots of little fundraisers, but now he wants to uh, tour this gala fundraiser that he started doing around Australia um, by holding a gala event where he auctions off bears and hosts and all of that um, in every capital city in Australia. And he also still has his Facebook uh, where he auctions off there. And I know he does some on eBay and it just all the, the other cool part is with Campbell, like a hundred percent of this is um, from the story I did on him last time, a hundred percent of what he raises goes towards what he's raising for and goes towards helping to fight cancer and cancer awareness and helping families who are affected it by it. Man, I love that kid. And I wish he, I want to learn how I tried to, sew. I was trying to make a stuffed animal for my friend the other day. And I'll tell you what it is not. I've talked about my sewing skills before. I've actually gotten better. I sold, a, I, I sewed a, a whole bathrobe for Charles for Christmas. But making a stuffed animal is something that I'm having a very hard time with. And Campbell makes one every freaking day. <sighs> now, so now we are, uh, this one is small town news. It's just a small town news corner. A little small town news for you. Okay, this is in uh, Bryant, Arkansas, which is about not the smallest, still, uh, definitely still a town, I would say. 17,000 people. Um, Bryant, Arkansas. Arkansas. This story is freaking incredible. Um, this It's actually sort of an older story. I was unawares when it came out because this actually happened about, I think, eight years ago. But the main woman from this story just wrote a book, which is why it's coming back around. You guys, a single mom who had no training ever built an entire house for her family from scratch materials using YouTube videos. Uh, that was the headline that 
made me click on this. So on this story anyway. Okay. So Kara Brookins, she is a, she's a single mom with four kids and she's had two marriages. Uh, her first marriage, um, ended because her, her husband was an extreme paranoid schizophrenic. And so she ended up leaving him to, because obviously you, you cannot raise four kids when you have, uh, or, or safely with a paranoid schizophrenic in the house and he needed to get help and she needed to get out of the marriage. And so, uh, after leaving that, I guess shortly after that, she, uh, or the next person she ended up marrying, she met a man who was like super strong and very protective dude. And I think from, uh, what it seems like she was probably a little scared and just needed, she thought that's what she and her family needed at the time. But as down the road, Later down the road, it turns out this strong and protective dude is actually was actually physically and mentally abusive. Uh, so it became that kind of situation. And so she had to leave again um, and start over again. So Kara, at this point, she has four kids who are aged 17, 15, 11, and 18. Good Lord having teenagers and having to take care of them in that situation. Oh, I mean, at least they're old enough to kind of, um, like be a little bit self-reliant, but gosh, that would be, that would be really hard. She, so she's with her kids. She doesn't really have anywhere to go. And, um, she, the only type of place she could afford at the time was all of her kids had to share one room. So it was probably like a two, one or two bedroom. Um, and stacking a 17 year old and a 15 year old in the same, in a space that small, not, nobody was happy. So, uh, she talks about, she was driving past, a a tornadoed a tornado uh, a tornado had gone by and like torn a house apart basically and so she was driving by basically the bare bones structure of the house um and there she said that she looked at it and was like there's not a lot in there like the skeleton system of a house doesn't look that complicated she thought to herself never ever a thought that I've ever had <laughs> Uh, I, so she decides that she is going to build herself a house to live in because she doesn't have one and she doesn't have enough money to buy one. So she, and she also felt like it was symbolic of her life at the time to start completely from scratch and rebuild. And so she took out a loan to cover the cost of the materials and bought an acre of land in Arkansas. And she said her children were like all in um, because they were just psyched to not have to share a single bedroom anymore. So uh, her 15-year-old son helped her draw the house plans um, at the kitchen table together. He was also in charge of the nail gun 
in the construction site. Her daughters uh, rotated between completing, like, helping her with tasks at the job site and looking after their younger brother, who was uh, a toddler at the time. So, actually, and wait. You know what? Now that I look back on this. Um, this must have been, her kids must be 17, 15, eight, 11, and 18 now. But at the time, were much younger, um, which uh, even more crazy. So, um, so everybody helped. Uh, they, the girls helped, and then also looked after the toddler. And there's photos of her like hauling huge cinder blocks. Um, those things are so heavy. I made a table once. And it's literally in front of me. And all it is is four cinder blocks with a piece of wood on it. And then the time before that that I made a table, I nailed two pieces of wood onto or three pieces of wood in, onto a thin piece of wood and thought it would be a table. And the only way to make it stand up was put it in a corner with the, behind the couch with the couch holding it up. Those are my building experiences. So trying to imagine building an entire house with your children, I can't, I am just in awe of this woman. So I guess what she, also, this is back in 2008. Um, so she didn't have an iPhone that had easy internet access. Um, uh, she had a flip phone without a camera on it. So she would go home every single night and search Google and YouTube for the instructions on like what to what to do the next day. Like here's how you build a foundation. This is what we're going to do tomorrow. This is how we're going to rake the land to do put the stuff in it. We need these cinder blocks. Here's how we're going to do this. Um, how do you frame a window? That's what we're going to do today. She would watch it on YouTube, take notes, and do pretty much everything from memory the next day she would just watch the videos at home in the evening and then uh just figure it out the next day from memory she says it was a lot of asking questions being humble and being willing to look like an idiot um she said but when you're that low how much further can you really fall being that low makes you feel more fearless what else have you got to use lose um uh, so they just figured it out and the house is a two story tall. The, the photo of what the house is, it's freaking beautiful. It's two stories tall brick house, like big house. I've, I don't know how she did it. And also it's a completely up to code house because she built it within the city limits. So city inspectors had to come. They had to like come out and make sure that everything is up to code. Um, and the only thing that she hired other people to do was the electricity and the plumbing. Um, so she hired people to help her with that, but still like had a part in it. Um, and I just, yeah, they've lived in the house for eight years now. And it was built by them and them alone uh, and with the help of an electrician and a plumber. And that's all. Um, so over the past six years, she's been writing a book to share her experiences 
with other people. And the book is called Rise, How a, a House... Ha- Bleh, I'm going to start over. Rise, How a House Built a Family. Um, that book comes out on January 24th. And she says she hopes it helps inspire those who may be in similar situations. She said it became a way for me to make my own history. Um, people are told to take baby steps. And if you take those baby steps, then that's all you'll accomplish. She said by making a big crazy goal, uh, make a big crazy goal for yourself. Do something that seems impossible and it'll change how you see, see yourself. For us, it was building a house. Uh, I, oh my God, I, I just, I love this story so much, so much. Um, I really can't wait to take a look at that book. It comes out January 24th. Yeah, look her up. And like I said, the Instagram, this is what the Instagram thing will be really helpful for. If you weren't into reading blog articles, this will just be like quick little things. So I'll post a photo of this house because I can't. I cannot wrap my mind around it. I mean, I guess it makes sense. They, like people build houses everywhere, but being able to figure that out yourself and being able to do it before we were able to walk around with the internet in the palms of our hands. Um, so freaking cool. Yes, Kara. And there's a little sign in front of it, in front of the house. It's called Inkwell Manor. Um, and it's on a huge, beautiful, grassy acre with trees and, yeah. All that. Okay. Animal, animal, animal corner, animal corner, animal corner. So everybody may have heard, but... The Ringling Brothers Circus is a closing. Uh, good news for animal rights activists. And I think uh, I just read something recently about they, since it hasn't closed yet, they don't know for sure where each animal is going, but um, they are, the animals are going to be basically going into wildlife conservation to readjust to, um, and be protected, um, to be able to eventually, or maybe not, it depends on how well they're doing, but they're, they're basically going to be put into, uh, into wildlife conservations, um, so that they can be protected and be outside and be happy and not have to do tricks anymore, um, so that's really good news. I guess the the circus is closing just because of declining ticket sales, high operating costs, and increasingly negative feedback from about <laughs> forcing captive wild animals to perform as entertainment. Which yes, uh, I hope. I'm I'm just really glad that that's ending. I feel similarly about zoos, which I've talked about before. Um, and I'm just really glad that those animals don't have to turn turn tricks anymore. 
and that they'll have a new home and be taken care of on wildlife conservations and uh different ones will probably go to different places so that's why i don't have a specific i looked at an article a couple days ago about it and it was basically um just like the overall wildlife conservation i cannot remember the name off the top of my head because i'm not looking at it but they were like yes these animals will be placed into protective conservation custody and um reacclimated to being in the wild and taken care of and all that good stuff um they're gonna make sure each and every one is like happy and healthy yeah well okay i mean i guess that we're here we are i've been talking nonstop for a, a little while now um that's this week's good news uh i guess well since i don't have a guest here i guess i will answer the question of um a time in my life that I received good news or I got to give somebody else good news or was affected in a positive way. Um, the first one that comes, the first one that comes to my head is after, right after I moved to LA, uh, I moved out here by myself in my Subaru and I was having, I had some friends out here too. Uh, otherwise it would have been 10 times as hard, but I found an apartment really quickly and, um, I was so focused on in the beginning, I wasn't quite sure where to start other than just try and get like a, um, I'm out here to do acting and comedy and all of that in, in entertainment and that, uh, world. But I had no idea where to start with that really. And my first thing was just, you have to get a part-time job so you can survive. A lot of people's first things. I wish I would have put a little less stress on it than I, I did, but I spent, um, every day going to interviews and I would just get in my car and drive around LA trying to get jobs. And, uh, uh, I had had a lot of serving experience. I've been working in restaurants since I was 15 and I was trying to get a restaurant job and I was not having any luck because people kept telling me that they were worried that since my experience with serving was from Wyoming and Montana that I wouldn't be able to handle the California clientele and that I would start crying, which I don't know what it is about my face that that seemed to be be such a large concern that I would just start crying at a restaurant I worked at. Um, and I tried to be like, no, you have to understand. I, one of my first jobs was at a truck stop diner in Lander, Wyoming. It's not like super nice, friendly clientele that come there. They, I just, I couldn't get a job. And I think I was looking for like a month and it was that time of year too, where it's hard to get jobs. Um, it was like around March, just sort of like a random tiny time of year. And so, yeah, I was just going to place after place on Craigslist, which is always a disaster. And then I just remember when I got the call that I got a job at a place and I, it was like a crappy little restaurant 
job. Um, and I ended up actually leaving it for something else a little later, but I just started crying and I called my mom and was like, mom, I got a job finally. And yeah, it was, um, that was the first moment that I was like, okay, I live here now. I can have a job. I can stay in the apartment that I have. Um, and I can make this work. It's going to work out. And I don't know, just remembering that little things like that make a big difference. Uh, even though it's such a little step, it's something that can mean such a huge thing. Like who cares about working, getting a certain, I've had so many serving jobs, especially now I've gone to a lot of different ones in LA, but at that moment, that was what I really needed to feel like I could stay in LA was to have somebody say like, yeah, we're going to pay you minimum wage and you can have a job here. Um, and then that gives me hope for eventually someday that call will be about something different. Um, so just remembering that doors open, uh, and sometimes little things can be big things. Um, okay, well, maybe I'll put in a bunch of sound effects here. Okay, I hope y'all have, as we, I'm going to do my radio voice, as we go out into the rest of the world, I hope that everyone has a terrific, terrific day or night, and that you, you know, just reach out and say hello and I love you to those good people in your life, and maybe... Take a photo of a homeless man's sign and post it on Facebook so that he gets job interviews. Maybe don't do exactly that, but you guys got it. Here we are at KGWRGFC uh, 4721 Willowbrook signing off. Good news. Later. For Africa This has been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit boardwalkaudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.